This is Thomas DePolo. This is Max. This is Kevin Ham. Hey, this is Jake Cook. Hi, this is William Roy. You're listening to The Green Box. potential campaign frame by you guys and want to hear what you guys think of it. Uh, So I don't always like the kind of 90s paranoid conspiracy thriller stuff for a modern day game. I feel like I want something that has a little bit more of a law enforcement or counter-terrorism thriller kind of vibe to it for a modern day program game. So instead of having case officers and the whole cell structure i was thinking one big change would be you get your mission briefings from analysts rather than case officers like the players work for a single jttf or working group or whatever and then they have a couple other little nerds in the same office who come back to them with scenario seeds and hooks and things like that what i like about this idea is that um it's often Oftentimes, I, I might have a cool idea for a scenario, and I just hand wave the entire reason Delta Green is involved. Like, oh, there was somebody's computer got we got a we got a hit on the computer that this guy was searching for Cthulhu. Go find out why he's doing it. Oh, whoops, he's a Cthulhu cultist. And that's, I mean, I think a lot of players understand that you have to have a con- or sometimes need a contrived reason for things, but your solution may get rid of that a little bit, which is nice. Um, your solution is just iconoclasts. Yeah. Like that's Basically. one of the reasons why people liked iconoclasts. Yeah. Although, yeah. like, the funny thing is that all the stuff I've read, like everyone else who talks about it, has like extremely negative opinions of it. But we all enjoyed it and thought the format was super cool. Maybe it's because it's the person who ran it for you. Well, could be. But here's the thing, Kevin: the other people who have extremely negative opinions about it are also people you ran it for. But I also murdered them because they were they made bad dice rolls. So what can I say? Well. There you go. You didn't murder them. The dice did. That's just exactly. how it falls, baby. The coin don't have no say. It's just you. Based no country posting. So how would you... Like, so I guess, I guess obviously you'd change your mission briefing in such a way that it would be less of, you know, go investigate Clyde Bauman's apartment and more, you know, this man is dead. Go... Or, you know, that's, that's actually probably a really bad that's example a bad for example. this. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Um, well, here's here's an example, actually, to use that one. Maybe in that case, it's not, uh, this guy used to be part, this guy used to be one of us. We need you to go and sanitize his apartment. Maybe it's, hey, we just realized this guy in the obituary has the same name and employment history and social security number as a guy who used to work for us you should go and make sure like there are no loose ends and that there's nothing fishy about his death. And then one of the things also about that one is because it's somebody who's an equal to you rather than a boss, that's not necessarily something you have to do. It could be one of several leads you have to follow up on. So if that just doesn't sound, if that just sounds like grunt work to your players, you could always give them another hook for a different scenario that or situation to play. What I'd like about, so if you're playing a longer campaign, you could almost split uh, last things last up. You could, you, all right, this guy used to work for us. Go check it out. Go to his apartment. All right, nothing there. You sweep it. You Maybe you find some files, whatever. You, all right, put it all away. Because it was always a really obvious breadcrumb. I mean, for good reason. It's a starter scenario. It needs to be, it needs to be solid. And I think it is. It's still one of my favorites. But 
you always get the obvious breadcrumb to go to the cabin. So if you were able to give your analyst, okay, here's the data we found in the apartment, you know, here's some files we found there. And then after the next session, they come back and say, hey, we found this guy's, you know, you brought back the intel. We, we figured that we did some digging. We found out he's got a place. Go sweep that. That would be a nice back and forth. Okay, we did a good job. You know, our analysts figured out some more stuff. Now we're going to tie up all the loose ends. That could be a fun way to do it. I like this because it can remove some of the uh, the oh shit urgency that a lot of scenarios have. Like it's usually, oh man, a really, really bad thing just happened. You need to get in there and investigate it. But here you can kind of give some time for agents to poke around the bad stuff. And then you can still have the bad thing happen. They just have like more heads up on it. And you might have been able to let them use the uh, acquisitions or the requisitions rules. Yes. Nobody can ever use those because of the emergency nature of a lot of scenarios. Consider the ending of... um... Whisper, uh, whispers from a dark, not sorry, um, music from a darkened room. How like the whole burn the house down and it comes back thing is something that if you're just running scenarios that are given to the players can't really happen organically because it's like oh it's in your home scene and you hear about it or oh you just give them the same scenario a second time. Whereas if they are if they've got a, a desk of items to look at and it comes back later, it is a much more natural way of of folding that back into the game and making that consequence real. One of the things I like to do with um, Dungeons and Dragons and West and West March stuff, and this is going to relate back to this thing, I swear. Um, I don't really care when I'm running like Dungeons and Dragons. I have no, I don't really care what we're doing. Um, it's all just the broad fantasy brush. I don't care if any ogres or trolls. That doesn't really matter, right? As long as people are having fun, telling good, telling a fun story. So a lot of times, like. I want the players to tell them what they want to do. I don't want them to say, I want to go kill a dragon and get a plus one sword, but but I want to know like, hey, you heard that there's a volcano that used to be dormant and now it's active again. Maybe it's a dragon inside. Maybe it's something different inside, right? So you can almost do the same with Delta Green. Like if you have a player who just loves the lore of Miskatonic University and like the New England coast, they could kind of pitch you through the analyst team something up there. Hey, there's uh, you know some interesting... Signals intelligence coming out of the Miskatonic, or there's you know they they you know they're requesting help on uh, on a research recovery mission, whatever. And then you as a handler can you know write it up, figure it out, work with the player, go from there. But it lets them have a say in kind of what's going on, which makes it a lot more engaging. Yeah, for sure. I think one of the interesting things about this is that from at least from a base level, it doesn't necessarily change much about the gameplay, but it reframes a lot of the existing stuff as putting the players in charge and making them more proactive rather than just getting a set of directives and trying to follow them to the letter. Here's a question, though. Um, How would you take existing Delta Green materials or even something like a shotgun scenario that's designed to be very fast-moving and self-contained and take that content and insert it into this structure? Because I think the main downside, the main reason I don't see people do this a lot, is that this requires a lot more consider how much effort goes into both preparing and running something like iconoclasts how there are all kinds of factions that move around and do things and have to be tracked by the handler that the handler has to track what the players are doing and how they're spending their time has to manage them moving between the office and various locations on the map has to figure out how the interplay between what they do and what the other people do and how their actions affect the living world. So how do you take this framework and apply it to something that 
already exists in Delta Green, or do you have to design? Do you have to design a bespoke scenario to use the analyst's mission framework? I don't think so. I think the iconoclast comparison is a little bit overblown. I feel like it just kind of changes, for the most part, how you present the hook and how you feed information to the players, rather than how you structure the whole scenario from top to bottom. Tom, I have an example that might help here. Okay. So, uh, Lover in the Ice, a scenario that starts with a you know emergency trip up to a snowstorm for a, for a power failure, right? Mm-hmm. If you take that one step back, your analyst could put you on the lead of the guy and some of the research you did. I'm being a little vague here just without getting into too, many, too much spoiler territory, but they could put you on the lead of the guy and the stuff he was researching. And then when you get there, boom, it's also a snowstorm. When you finally decide to go investigate on, you know, drive up there, the blizzard happens and you say, well... We're already up there. Hey, by the way, this just happened. Get over there and check it out as well. So it's a pretty easy reframing. You don't have to change much except for a little bit of intro. Oh, that's interesting. So I could see that. That's like you're there to retrieve the thing. You're trying to get in and out before the storm hits, but then you're not fast enough. So the storm is there while you're in town and you kind of get wrapped up in the whole thing. Yeah. And the scenario plays out just like it normally does. It's the reason you're being there is less contrived and and. And you're more invested because maybe you know a little bit about what's going on. So you're like, oh, crap. It's good. I really like being able to get in front of the emergencies and, uh, you know, what's your usual framing device or your inciting event for your scenario. You can get in front of it this way. So I had a a thought about, um, I think we talked about it on episode one. Uh, But either way, it was a long time ago about calling, calling the case officer and, you know, when to let it happen and how to work it. If instead of a case officer, you're calling back to your analyst team for support one you've already got a relationship there so you could almost have like a group bond with them that you could pull on for things so it almost turns them into instead of like a, a lifeline that you can just pull on whenever you want it almost turns that into a currency if you know if you call back and you really need you know a black helicopter to transport you there's going to be a cost to that at some point because they're going to have to you know make some sacrifice or burn some bridge somewhere to make it happen so it turns that into a more a more usable thing that makes sense yeah i was thinking about that it's I guess it's more with the concept of the working group than necessarily with the analysts in particular, but I do like that idea that you can sort of outline ahead of time what resources you have access to so you can just have them without a role or anything. Like you can have the black helicopter or you're friendly with local law enforcement so you can just put a guy in a cell for 24 hours, no question asked. And like right now, if a random case officer is giving me a mission and I, I call back and I'm like, hey, you know, I got to put this guy in a cell for 24 hours. If if he's like, oh, damn you, you're you're an ass. I'm gonna have to pull some strings, and this is gonna suck. I don't care. I'm never gonna see this case officer again. I'm off for the next mission. But if these are people I work with to get intel regularly, I've affected that. Like you know, I've got to either try to rebuild that trust or try to help you know give him a you know give him a positive somewhere. You know, so like I said, I would almost do it as like a bond with like a, that, that the group has with the the JTTF or the analyst group. Ooh, you a group pull on that, but collectively, I like that. That is good. Yeah. And you can pull on it and you can also, if you can send a home scene, you can try to rebuild it if you pulled on it too hard. I like how that then becomes the one guy in the group who hasn't torched that bond and they all like push him to make a call whenever they really need something. Yeah. Well, it'd be like, look, I know, I know Jake's an ass. I know he's abrasive, but I'm going to take you out for drinks. We're going to have a good time. Just please don't take it on the rest of us. You know, something like that. Wait, I'm the abrasive one? It's funnier because you're the most wholesome one on the podcast. <laughs> I thought Tom was the most wholesome one on the podcast. I was going to say, well, I feel like that's at least a competition there. 
Time is too mysterious to be wholesome. Well, if, if that's the case, then I'd certainly cede it to you, Tom. <laughs> Doesn't that make me more wholesome Damn. for ceding it to you? <laughs> oh, shit. Are, you trying to, are you trying to galaxy brain this? Are you trying to make an end run around my wholesomeness? It's a competition, and I think you should win. Making an end run around my wholesomeness is the name of my sex tape. <laughs> so I have a uh, question for you, uh, Tom. Mm, are you saying this... Uh, uh, the uh, case officer uh, replacement with an analyst. Is that for program games or would this work with Cowboys also? I had been thinking of it as mostly a program thing or I guess the whole working group or whatever. Everybody on the inside was actually working for Delta Green, but I don't see why you couldn't use it for the outlaws where uh, you're one of a handful of people working for Delta Green among a group of federal agents and then you've got one or two analysts who are also in Delta Green and they kind of forward you the weird stuff they found that doesn't get reported otherwise. Yeah, I can see it. I can see it either way. It wouldn't be a hard uh, a hard so a hard sell to make it a, a cowboy game. Yeah, you could easily make it work for the <laughs> you could easily make it work for the outlaws. It's just my thing was it kind of changes the tone a little bit away from espionage and more to a lo- like I said a law enforcement or kind of a counterterrorism thriller sort of thing. It'd be almost like Kevin's favorite TV show on Amazon. Um, look, we can, the we marvelous can, Mrs. Maisel. What a classic! We can talk about that after for sure. Okay, then we will. It was uh, Jack Ryan, just for the sake of getting it out there, so we don't leave people wondering. Um, I was close. <laughs> I don't know if you guys saw this, but there was something that was on Shane Ivey's Patreon about um, how to play an analyst. And I put the link there um, for you guys to look it over if you want to. I can't fucking read it, dude. I can't believe we have to have two Patreons. That was ridiculous. I don't find I don't mind them doing it, but just don't post it if you want me to read it because I can't read it. Oh, because you're not like a patron? No. Oh, okay. Ooh, I would well, why, then, would I, why would I pay um, for something to, I can do myself? Allow me to summarize it very briefly for you then. Uh, pretty much. But listen, you have to listen to our Patreon to hear the summary. Nice. Um, it's like it's like the pirate Trader Joe's, but instead it's pirate green. For, for Now, for premium subscribers only. Uh, check out my premium Snapchat. Anyways, uh, it basically it boils down to... You pick one character that you want to kind of retire. Um, and by that, I mean not like shoot them with a 9mm, but uh, let them be uh, an analyst that goes and works at some program, uh, some program like Shell type deal. Uh, and then uh, when you play a home scene, your analyst can skimp on research and lose some sanity, or they can do the right job take a sanity test and uh, gain unnatural points with them. And I, I guess like the point of it is that you can maybe one day bring them out back into the field or call them if you need help. Uh, but uh, it felt like a little bit incomplete on there. And I had some thoughts on it when this first came out. Retiring your character to make them into an NPC is, is fine. That's how all of my uh, uh, case officers come from. See, it's basically the same thing as what you're doing there, but uh, there's like one mechanic, and it didn't feel very, uh, it didn't feel complete to me. And what I thought about it was, what if you kind of split this up? Like you get to have 
two characters, you know, if your guy lived long enough to retire and become an analyst, then like, that's good. That should be a, like a reward for you as a player. Um, and you could use that, uh, to, uh, keep the active like cell or the, the JTTF alive. Um, and like give your players a heads up on like what they're about to play like the next session or something like that by you know how how deep does the analyst want to read and then offer a choice like what would your analyst tell the team and that way you could kind of split it up between like a um like a overhead kind of uh you know like what what the analyst would know and how much he's willing to divulge knowing that it would like rattle their mind make a sand test as well and then, like, depending on how well the team did based on what you told them. This, this is just an idea I had. I, I didn't come up with any mechanics for it, but I'd encourage someone to do that on their own to come up with, like, a little analyst case officer or uh, analyst minigame. Well, you put it on mobile phones and have loot boxes. It'll be great. Yeah, we'd need some money. I kind of like that idea that there is an interplay between how much information you give people to help them with their missions, but then also if you give them too much you're kind of risking giving them too much sand loss to really see it through. In the video game Dark Souls, there is a character named Laurentius, and Laurentius is a pyromancer. Laurentius is a pyromancer who came to the land of ancient lords because he was exiled from his home for becoming an undead, which is the story of most people in the land of ancient lords. Laurentius's goal is to find the ultimate pyromancy because he wants to be the ultimate pyromancer. He wants to to hold the, the fire stolen from the gods in his hand. You can find it. You can find a person who will teach it to you. And if you tell him where it is, he will go down and he will die. So your your case, uh, your pyromancer is your field agent and you are the, uh, you're the, you're the person that tells him where to go and die, huh? And Dark Souls it is a bad game. Kevin is a reliable source of bad opinions and that's one of them. I hear, told hear. you about Disco Elysium. I don't want to hear it. Yeah, but you also told me about Battlestar Galactica. You're one out of two, Kevin. You're, you're probably, that's a, that's a pretty good batting average. I mean, 500 is an amazing batting average. It's, yeah, it's actually. Not actually 500, it's 0.5. It's 0.5. Yeah. Never, all right. Fucking, it's different math here. and You still call it 500, though. Because then you're, when you're wrong. If, you hit, if you hit everything, then you're batting 1,000. That's how, like, the baseball one. players. I know, batting I, one. I know. I know we're like a hey, bunch of like nerds that don't hey, really do sports around here, but it's hey, a 500 batting average. The reason Will clearly doesn't understand is it's not his country's pastime. It's ours. It's right. not I don't, a metric I don't system. understand baseball. These I understand are, how you can run to yeah, on the They calculate them in imperial runs. units. Yeah. It's how not, many, uh, it's not runs batted in. It's uh, Miller runs, not center runs. Miller runs, yeah. It's, it's <laughs> Miller runs, <laughs> hockey, and maple syrup. It's four Miller runs to a run. Is that... <laughs> For the late reaction was perfect. Wait, just got got it. it. But I like the idea of there being some sort of a like a reward for having a character that doesn't die off and can go live on to be an analyst, and then you get to give that analyst character a choice and say, "Hey, there's a lot that's about to happen. How much do you want to tell the field agents?" And then. you know, there's degrees of information that you could choose to be transparent with them about. And then uh, it, it becomes sort of like a cost benefit uh, analysis because you're an analyst. So um, if the field agents make it out alive, you get some sand back 
And if they don't, uh, you feel bad for not telling them enough and you lose some sand. Just make it like a mini game, you know? I have something t totally unrelated that I'd like to ask a question on. Is it I mean, something that'd be better in the after show or? No, I think it's, I don't know. I mean, well, all right, yeah, yeah. All right fuck it. Um, <laughs> so I'm reading this book right now about tin can sailors in a big battle, uh, destroyers in a big battle against like cruisers and battleships in World War II. And it's, uh, it just sounds horrifying. And I keep thinking to myself, I would love to have a, like a Delta Green game or a role playing game that like embodies this. And then thinking, uh, I'd have no way to, do it like i don't know how i would how would it how would it come as like that big battle in like hopeless feel of you know slung it out against a, a juggernaut as a tiny little ship without making it into like a big meta game like a you know a big like you're all captains or whatever but then you're not really the little guy if you're the little guy you just it's not engaging so i don't know i kind of hit a wall where i was like i'd love to run this as a game but i don't think i can gamify it there's a game that i've wanted to play for a couple months now called band of blades it's if you took Blades in the Dark and then established it as a uh, like a war campaign game, and there's two levels of play to that. There's like the uh, the macro game where every player character is one of the like officers or the commanders of the army, where one guy is the quartermaster, one guy is the uh, the marshal who's in charge of you know discipline and morale. And the other one is the commander who decides, you know, where the army's going and what they're doing. And then there's the smaller, like the micro level where you play as individual soldiers in the platoons who go off on the missions. And then you play as them in the missions and whether you come back affects. But anyways, it's a big game and you could almost do something like that with your, uh, your ship battle there. That's so Band of Blades is a spinoff of Blades in the Dark. So you could do a spinoff of Band of Blades and it'd be like naval based. Yeah, it could work. Band of propeller blades. Boats. Propeller blades. Oh yes, band of boats. Band, band of boats. boats. Yeah. <laughs> I think what you should do is you should write a four hundred page scenario about it, where three hundred of those pages are just rules for naval combat. Yeah, the the boat stats, right? Yeah. No, I don't want to do that. Well, I'll, I'll wait till the next contest gets run. I'll submit. Yeah, it. wait until the next alphabet contest. And hope you get B. No, no, do it for the shotgun scenario. Except like it's like a hundred, fifteen hundred, no, yeah, fifteen hundred words, and then. An additional like thirty thousand words that are just stat blocks. Stat block. yeah, the NPC Wait, stat blocks. It's true. I did do that for the uh, end of the world at the end, where the entire like bottom of my scenario was just templates to apply to agents to make them <laughs> into monsters. Yeah, I wanted curious how to gamify that. That could work. Uh, I'd call this here as a shorter segment, but some good stuff for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm good with that. So today I want to discuss a riveting document from published by the U.S. Government Accountability Office. This is uh, publication GAO 20710. And before you shut off your podcast player, because that sounds remarkably uh, uninteresting and boring, this is their yearly report on the federal tactical teams of the United States, which talks about the different teams, their training, their deployments, and inventory. It's a pretty interesting look on what federal agencies have tactical response units and tactical teams and, and what kind of equipment they use and how often they're deployed for what kind of deployments and a little bit of history. It's a pretty neat little, neat little document. It kind of, I think it dovetails pretty well into the world of Delta Green. And I even think there's one team in particular that I think is like 
could couldn't be written more for Delta Green if if we tried. We'll see if we uh, if we reach the same conclusion there. Uh, obviously, the complex covers some of these themes, so I, I'll leave I'll leave some of the stuff like the Co- the complex did a pretty good job talking about the Coast Guard, and there's three. I think they include all three tactical teams here for the Coast Guard. Uh, you know, check it out if you want to. But generally speaking, I kind of want to talk about some of the other less. Know, less discussed, both from a player perspective, like how would you make a guy make a character for one of these teams, or how would you use this team to maybe spice up your background and not be generic FBI man number seven, you know, and and also as a handler or someone writing a scenario, how would you work one of these in again to make it a little less generic and maybe make it more interesting and you know add some verisimilitude to your milieu. So the way the document is structured, it starts off with some general statistics and terminology and so on. And then we get a breakdown organization by organization of these assorted teams of tactical geniuses. And the thing that it does is it presents the team description, the training, the reported deployments. And then for several of them, it'll have a type of deployment, which is the various things that they'll get assigned to do, like to protect a VIP or to provide training to another organization or to go on a door kicking mission and things of that nature. And then there's at the end, a couple of appendices that talk about how now most of these organizations, if they're used, are being used for either coronavirus related stuff or riot control. That's an interesting one because there's been a ton of unrest in the last... This you know, appeared, so this appeared in, the, in the news, Kevin, when, um, if you recall, when all of those stormtroopers started appearing in D.C., they weren't wearing any kind of insignia, but all of the kind of intelligentsia were saying those people are actually Bureau of Prisons. They're from the BOP, the BOP like tactical group that, and they've been brought out here because they weren't, I guess, doing anything useful at the moment and having them stand with shields while the president tear gasses the church or whatever was considered a value add. Yeah, but the other thing, oh, and, and one, one, one more thing just for yeah. the, the layout of the document. They'll have each of the group uh, given the team members, like the number of people on the team, and they'll have it broken down into full-time duty and collateral duty. And my understanding of this, Kevin, or anyone else, correct me if I'm wrong, is that the full-time duty are the people who are, they're on call, that's their job to be on the team, whereas the collateral duty are, if there's a mission that they need the special SWAT team for or whatever, then those characters get drawn up to do that. Yeah, basically the full time guys are probably like the the core cadre and the ones doing most of the training and like setting everything up, and the other collateral guys are you know they're fully trained and certified and ready to go, but they have regular you know day jobs they're working on, and then when the need arises you know they they get pulled together, you know whether it's through like a you know whether it's through like you know the beeper ringing and they rush out the door or whether it's more a little slower in terms of like you know they assemble the team and move them somewhere and then deploy them that kind of thing, and that varies agency to agency. So uh, no, also I do have to point out that all the almost all the almost all the cool Coast Guard uh, pictures are like action shots in like real life, and almost all the cool other guys is like sweet training shots. So I appreciate that. That's I did good. notice. So one of the things that's nice about if you're going to make if you're gonna play, if you're gonna play Delta Green and you're trying to make a character, having a character that can shoot is obviously we've discussed on the show many times. A uh, uh, good idea. A lot of games evolve into shooting, and being able to defend yourself is key. But sometimes it can be tiring to make just another cop or another FBI agent. 
because you've done that once or twice and you've lost them before. Or it's a different game, but you don't. But you also don't want to be the unique snowflake researcher who happens to be a competitive shooter on the side. You can only do that a few times before that gets boring. Also, so this is a great document if you want to just you know thumb through and see what suits your fancy. Uh, I'll use. Um, I'm just gonna kind of pick one of these. So, all right, like the Department of Secret Services, if you think about Secret Service, normally you think about like VIP protection, you know, guys in suits guarding the president, or you think about uh, counterfeiting. Um, but they have this thing called the counter assault team, which is basically deployed around, you know, they're deployed around a protectee, but they're not wearing suits, they're wearing tack gear, and you're, you don't, you don't, you're never going to see them unless they're, they're actually, you know, trying to kill someone. But if there's an attack, they bust out of hidden doors and hidden vehicles and helicopters, and they're ready to go and like you know suppress and, and destroy whoever's attacking them. So having a secret service guy might be a fun character because you can have all this cool tactical training, all this cool background stuff, and I can think of you know ten different ways to make these guys to write up like a cool mythos encounter you might have had in your in your history. But when when you say secret service, you're not exactly what everyone assumes you are. You have this kind of extra little you know niche make your character a little more memorable. The other uh, the other interesting secret service team is all the snipers you might see on buildings. Another good way to, you know, be like a known quantity, have a cool federal agent, be a neat character, but have a specialty that's not just, you know, standing around guarding someone. I know that the, at least the sniper guy, the sniper team at least is deployed all the time. So there's always snipers overwatching some of the high profile protectees in the United States, which is kind of, I mean, it makes sense, but it's also kind of not, not kind of nuts too. You think about most of these units are deployed like, like, like as a you know as a, to stop a point threat or like, you know, like like we talked about earlier, you know, stopping a riot or riot suppression or whatever. They're not just always deployed, but some of the Secret Service teams are. the uh, The team that I thought really, to, or the team that I thought to me really exuded Delta Green was just going to find the guy was the Department of Health and Human Services. National Institute of Health Special Response Team. Wasn't it just two people, though? Yeah, this is just two people on collateral duty uh, who are part of the special response team. But that's like the perfect. It's it just it reads like Delta Green cover that got exposed just a little bit. They're just normal, you know, everyday uh, health and human services folks. But every now and then they go kick down Mythos doors and they had to get reported somehow. So they threw them onto some two-man special response team. And uh, now you're in some government report. And like the two people are in the photo. So it's like, that's the whole team and all their equipment. These two guys. I really thought that was pretty good. I'd love to know what the background is there. Do they, did they transfer from another agency and they had all these skills already and they were like, screw it, let's you know, start a, a division here? Or is this like an old team that's just gone dwind- like dwindled down over time? I'd really like to know. I imagine it as being one of those clinics mounds come up with where all the burning out wizards are kept for their own safety. And so these are just the two security guys for that building. But because one of these guys will every so often spawn a portal in their brains and some kind of space crab comes out you need to have automatic weapons and incendiary devices and things like that yes though one thing that this one thing this document doesn't do which would be very helpful to the average delta green player and player character is tell you what the teams are equipped with 
especially whether they get fun switches on their weapons. Because in, re- in real life, it's not that practical for a police officer to have an automatic weapon. There's there's not that much reason for it that you can't just get with good trigger discipline on a semi-automatic weapon. But in Delta Green, the imaginary world of Delta Green, having an automatic weapon makes a huge difference because it effectively doubles your damage output and allows you to just delete the entire enemy team on the first round. I can tell you with fair fair certainty that every one of these teams have select fire uh, weapons. It's just the normal, everyday, you know, M4-style weapon that every, everybody's using. Even local law enforcement have the same select fire capability in almost every case. I don't think so. I don't think local law enforcement here carries uh, guns with fun switches. And if I recall correctly, there was an old post about this on the Fairfield site where someone had gone and done a, a, a run-through of what all of the federal agents in that time period that that site was was constructed were carrying. And it was mostly, even even the guys who were carrying like uh, MP5s and their pistol caliber carbines didn't have, uh, for the most part, did not have the ability to rock that on a full auto. But what, what example are you specifically thinking of? Like, like, are there any of these that really stand out to you? Like, yeah, those guys would just be spraying bullets everywhere. Um, I mean, it's not, that. it just comes with personal experience adjacent to that world and dealing with these people on a fairly regular basis that every, every gun I've ever seen, every rifle I've seen in, in the hands of someone like this is, has a is select fire. Uh, because well, why wouldn't you, if you have the budget of the federal government behind you? You mean, why wouldn't you want to give your unstable cowboys the ability to expend their entire magazine in a couple seconds in an environment clustered with non-hostile and targets and easily penetrated walls? Those things aren't, uh, aren't really taken into account. Once they once their feet touch the ground, we call them insurgents. Yeah, right. It is an interesting note that they don't include that. They they do define automatic and fully automatic. They have they have a very like comprehensive like listing of all the different weapon types, but they don't actually say who gets what. Which is like if you're if you're playing Delta Green, that's what you want to know is you know do I get a grenade launcher? Do I get a a, a shield or you know. What do I if, if I'm breaching? Am I using a, a a battering ram? I'm using a shotgun. Am I using a bomb? Yeah. I, so my suspicion is they don't break break it down because it's ubiquitous. But I could be wrong. I would be curious if there are any actual statistics out there. That, that's my my educated guess. Is it's so British? British was doing a, a study of this, and he I remember him saying very specifically that the one group he was absolutely sure carried uh, a select fire weapon was the IRS SWAT group. I don't think they are listed in here. Well, um, that's, that's probably because they aren't ultra black ops. I'm curious it's because they maybe they don't fall. Maybe they aren't a tactical team. Maybe they're they're considered something else. Um, you know, through some. He said they were used for continuity of government operations. Yeah, so that maybe yeah. So maybe there's a there's a there's, a, there's another definition out there that doesn't include these. Um, or I wonder if maybe they're not around anymore. Or I wonder if maybe IRS CID. Yeah. At, a t- at each IRS office, there is a tiny number of long gun cadres who are equipped with automatic rifles. Yeah, so that so I see that, but wouldn't fall under because that's not a special special team. It's just guys, it's just certain people at each at each of the criminal investigative divisions that have that like that level of training. So it isn't necessarily a, a, a whole team, and that's probably where that where the you know dividing line is. I just like that they're called cadres, like they're the fucking Viet Cong. I would be interested to know what. Uh, who's not on here? Like you know, who falls outside of this, but maybe shouldn't because they are they're a, you know they're a cadre like that or something else. My understanding, and tell me if you know 
agency politics don't work this way, but my guess is that it's like a point of prestige as a, a you know director of a federal agency to have like a team of elite badasses that can go do kinetic stuff, and that there would be guys who tried to cultivate that even if they weren't officially supposed to have a tactical team. Yeah, that's that's one of the plausible scenarios for why that two man team exists. Those two just wrote you know wrote up a good enough looking memo. And you know, got the grant funding assigned to them, and we're like, "Well, now we're a tactical team." How, um, like, there are all these uh, mercenaries operated by the Russian government, and you always think, like, "Well, why would they have? You know, why would the government need mercenaries that are run by government mercenary companies when they have an army?" And it's like, "Oh, it's because you know this oligarch couldn't ask the GRU nicely to borrow the Spetsnaz that day, so they had to do their own thing instead." I'm curious if, if anybody skimmed through it, and, and did you find anything that was kind of outlandish? Like you're like something that you like would never the, think you'd have a tactical team. I like the with. Amtrak tactical team a lot. I, that, that's probably the one I'm most yeah. likely to use in an imaginary scenario. Yeah, Amtrak one is nice. I really like the NASA special response team. One of their big specialties is providing security for space space related activities, such as display of lunar rock samples. Yeah, I knew about those guys. Yeah, I always assumed that they were more of like a like making sure that nobody breaks into Kennedy Space Center or something absolutely stupid, uh, rather than like you know. Don't touch that rock. Steal, steal, rock. The, steal all of the atomic fuel canisters from the Orion rocket. Thanks, Scott yeah. Manley had a video about those, those NASA Spec Ops guys, or whatever they're called, NASA SWAT, whatever. They've got a uh, Bearcat. So, I mean, they're, they're legit. No, it's great. They, they use the Bearcat. They drive into the side of the capsule and they start pumping tear gas inside. And then someone sets the tear yeah. gas on fire, and, and Apollo 1 and Waco both become the same incident. Oof. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good, uh, that's well, a good cut. That's a that's a good cutting room floor. I would tell you to not write that into a scenario, but you would, and then it'd probably be decent. Oh, dude, atrocities are like, exactly. that's how you know that people are paying attention. Choose your own atrocity. I do uh, think it's interesting, in an effort to emulate the military they so wish they were, almost all these tactical teams wear multicam. Or they wear the multicam you know, arms and legs, and they have the plain kind of tan or For, whatever, for our, our, our listeners, Kevin, multicam, what is that? It's this like high speed low drag camouflage. Um, it's Is like that a, the one that's supposed to work in like every environment? Works in none of them. No, not, none of them work in every environment. <laughs> and I don't think any were designed to. It works good if you're in like Afghanistan, but it's a little silly. I mean, my stance is always: if you're law enforcement, I like how tactical you are, you should wear something that clearly separates you from the military. But we've we've crossed that bridge. You know, we we lost. I lost that fight ten years ago. So well, if it only works in Afghanistan, that's a step up from like CADPAT, which only works in woodland environments, which is what the Canadian guys in Afghanistan were issued. Yeah, there you go. I mean, it has forests, sort of. Yeah, people, not, not the CADPAT kind. People used to get really upset. Uh, I used to do a lot of airsoft, and so people obviously wanted to play military badasses in airsoft, and they'd be like, what's the best camo to use? And I was like, well, you know where you're playing, so a real tree a real tree camouflage for the, the type of woods you're going to be playing in is the best camo because it's it's perfect. The reason that like the military doesn't use that is they would need to issue people 500 different uniforms. They pick one that works pretty well in most cases. Call it call it good. But nobody wants to be a military badass in a real tree. What's what's real tree? Is that like you just take a tree and uproot it and hide behind it? No, real tree is just like brand camo. You see it on like hunters a lot. It looks very it looks very you know much like like cut foliage covered, but you can buy it for like, you know, Eastern Cypress deciduous, you know, Northern evergreen. You can buy it in very specific. Yeah. It's, it's basically just a photo of trees and bushes and shit. 
that you yeah. wear. And if you wear the right photo, then you're invisible. And if yeah, you wear exactly. the wrong photo, then you're an asshole wearing a photo in the middle of the urban hellscape. But I do like, Kevin, that the picture, because you said the pictures they pick for the Coast Guard, and one of them is like a guy shooting a sniper rifle while there's a rainbow. And then another one is the picture yeah. of the guy banging on the sub hatch. Yes. Oh, uh, a semi-sub, to be, to be perfectly honest. But yes, that's a great video. I'll put a link, we'll put a link to it in the in this area, because that's a fantastic video that everyone should watch. And yes, the rainbow is a very nice touch. It says here that there was a surge of activity of the Border Patrol tactical unit on the northern border in 2018. Yeah, do you care to explain, Will? I don't know why they would do such a thing. I have no idea. So, Will, I think that maybe you've, you've heard this, but in our country, um, technically, according to some ill-defined legislation and executive orders, the um, the border agents are allowed to operate and do basically whatever they want within, I think it's like 100 miles of the border, as long as um, they can vaguely just find miles of the border on, yeah. on, on our side. They're not allowed to just go across that I know of. <laughs> yeah, there's this like, there's, there's, uh, the ACLU has a good term for it. Something about like the anti-free speech zone or something. Um, so like they can stop an American citizen 99 miles from the border and really prove you're a citizen. It's like, that's not, that's not how reality works. Really what it means is they can stop people who don't look like they're American citizens, which is, you know, kind of sketchy. Yeah, it's a little racist, but the, here's, go ahead. I was going to say, the Border Patrol unit has a really funny name. I can't take anyone seriously if they say they're from Bortac. I think that Tacklet is a funny name, though, the one for the Coast Guard. Because then you could yeah. be like, Yo, when they, when will they ever learn? Or it's like a smaller, it's it, it, it's a, it almost is like, well, if you're the Tacklet, where's like the, the big one? Where's, where's like, the Tack? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Tech bro. I like so the... I, uh, go ahead. Good. I was going to say I like the pictures from um, Maritime Safety and Security, too. We had one of these guys come alongside our uh, water taxi in... Um, uh, when I, I was I was in Seattle and I was going across to West Seattle and we were in the water taxi and then the, uh, the, the, the Coast Guard boat pulls up alongside and the guy's like, no, we're not getting bored. They just do this sometimes. Yeah, they'll come alongside. Well, One, it's good training and two... They're trying to protect assets like that. Well, the water taxi is now um, like one of the only ways to get to West Seattle because all of the fucking bridges are just exploding into a million pieces, and there's no money to do anything about it. Well, so, all right. So, if you were going to, so I mean, this document doesn't give you a lot of insight into like the day-to-day life of someone who's on collateral duty to one of these teams. Like, you know, if you're if you're working for the you know the border patrol. Or the, the Federal Protective Services Rapid Protection Force, they just sucks about what you do on the team, not necessarily what you do uh, in your day-to-day life. So if you're going to make a character for one of these teams, again, you want to, one, make whatever character you want, and you can excuse anything. It's Delta Green, have fun. But if you want to try to strive for something kind of realistic and like that's a challenge you're setting for yourself, then you're also going to want to figure out what they do, what an agent for that agency does day-to-day and try to tailor their special skills you know, take some of the bonus skills and sprinkle them around there. For example, like a Coast Guard guy is not going to have a ton of, necessarily have a ton of law, but one of these other team, one of his other services might have experts who are more in the, have more skill in law. Whereas a Coast Guard guy might have a skill in, you know, boating or riding or whatever. Um, so you just, you know, take the document and use it with, you know, just, I was going to say with deciduous research on the internet, but that's just trees. That's trees again. That doesn't yeah. help. <laughs> Good callback, though. 
judicious research on the internet. So if you were going to write a scenario, and again, let's say you, in your head, when you, you know, you're sketching out, you had like some federal tactical team, you had the, you know, the F- I'll use the FBI's hostage rescue team. They're like the poster child for federal teams. They've been around probably the longest. I'm not sure, but I would guess the longest. Um, but let's say you don't want to use them because you have another reason or it's not FBI, or you don't want to involve FBI in your thing. You know, what might you try to do to maybe incorporate one of these teams into a scenario? This, I mean, this is, this is way outside my wheelhouse. So I typically wouldn't, but if, if I were to, it would be as like, probably it would be as, as uh set dressing. So like, you know, these, your, 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 your Delta green teams off doing something and, you know, let's, let me just consult this list of, uh, special dudes from various federal alphabet agencies to see which one they'd most likely run into. Uh, how about this um, observer effect? You can be uh, use, use your, your pretend Department of Energy credentials to be the DOE SWAT. Yeah, Definitely. you could. Um, well, I think you're the perfect person to answer this question because like, I wouldn't... I mean, I like this document. It's really interesting and I would use it, but I wouldn't need to because I come from that background. You don't. So if you're looking at a scenario and you're like, man, I just want to give this, I want to punch this up just a little bit and make it feel a little more, you know, tactile or real. This is like, you're the perfect person to use this document because it gives you just enough. You know, you don't need to read 500 pages on a team. Here's one page, two pages, a little bit about them. You can kind of sprinkle some of that, some of that in. All of a sudden your scenario goes from, you know, a seven to an eight and a half. Yeah. Or whatever. A little extra bit of, you know, pizzazz. Yeah. I, I mean, you guys know I'm not, the first one to go diving into alphabet agencies or fondling guns or any of that stuff. But it, it would be a resource I would draw on to just make it sound a little more plausible than yeah. there's a bunch of, you know, operator looking guys who are in your way. I could say, Oh, well there's, you know, these, these guys, they're, they're from the insert one here. It, it, like I say, it would be like, like set dressing. I don't know if I would even yeah. think to look for it, but if I, Somebody was going well, you know. And that's why I wanted to talk about it because I figured now people will remember this maybe, and they'll you know maybe pull it up or yeah. That's interesting. I I do think a lot of times players want backup for something, and a lot of times you can just get like a local team, local SWAT, you know, or local PD or whatever. You just trump up some you know, hey, we find drugs, we think there's drugs there, you know, and bring the team in, do the raid, and on the backside of it, you know, smuggle the artifact out or kill the wizard, whatever. It's probably a lot easier for the Delta Green program to call in another federal team because there's so many more bilateral agreements and it's all federal money and it's also it's so much more smushed together and easy. So this might be another place you can reach back to if you're trying to give back up to your to a team on the ground. Again, and you know they've earned it or they need it or you think it's a valuable, you know, they're not just trying to not roll firearms. They have a good plan and it's interesting. Maybe you know pull up one of these and have these guys be the backup that gets sent in, you know, to back up the yeah, that's good because because now you have uh, a figure for like, well, how many guys are they going to send me if it's if it's that two man team? And maybe it's those two guys. Maybe it's those two guys. Yeah, maybe they show up. We're the reinforcements. We're the reinforcements. <laughs> and again, and and so, and you might what, what might be a fun challenge for players to say, um, uh, again, I'll use I'm going to use the that Secret Service assault team. Say you tell your players, all right, you got backup coming, but this is the team. There's only, you know, there's, there's five guys from this team that are the nearest assets, but you need to, you know, in about 10 minutes, their, their director's going to call me and wonder why they're being deployed. So I need you have 10 minutes to come up with a reason why these guys are going to help you out. You know, it's all well, those drugs there. Well, they don't care about drugs. 
you need you need to come up with a credible threat against you know you know the vice president or else these guys are going to turn around when they get there because their boss is going to tell them to tell them to. So that could be a fun way to tell the other players like we're going to get something, but you've got to work for it. And that's a good example for me at least. I always I, I tried not to tell players no. I tried to say no, but or yes, but. So it's like, oh yeah, you can have backup, but you've now you've got to drum up something else. So now you you're going to dig yourself even an even deeper hole potentially with your boss or with your agency or whatever. So you got shooters coming, but it's not that easy. So yeah, we'll post the link to this. It's a GAO document, so it's it's legit. It's you know it's available to anyone. Um, so you know, take a look and let us know what you think. But uh, any other thoughts on how how would you utilize this or how to how to turn this into a not just a fun, exciting read, but also uh, I mean, usable for Delta Green. Let's see what's another exciting agency. There's a there's like a group of guys who just are the guards at the Pentagon. There is there's one for the U.S. National Park Service. That's cool. Yeah, National Park Service is a good example because it's only 17 guys full time, so they're unlikely to, to respond to a 911 call. They're much more likely to be sent in on. Well, I mean, it looks like they're deployed almost exclusively for protection details. But also, if there's like a warrant somewhere they need to serve or you know near, I would expect. I'm I'm surprised that that they don't do more drug-related stuff because national parks, uh, and I guess to a lesser extent, national forests are places where you'll often find guys setting up drug labs. Like, weren't the Death Valley Germans found by a guy who was looking for like a meth lab in the Grand Canyon? Not the Grand Canyon, Death Valley, obviously. Death Valley Germans. I don't know. I suspect because there's just only 17 of them, they're just there's other agencies who will go bust. Yeah, probably the DEA because they got 400,000 yeah. people on that team. So the documents at the end talk about how all of the uh, different special response teams were used during both uh, the ongoing protests and just for coronavirus stuff. So I'm glad they include stats for the last like three years or four years in most cases because I'm def- I'm always curious like this year 2020 is a fucking anomaly in, in every sense of the word so I'm really curious how it shakes out in like a air quote normal you know air quote world okay Amtrak Amtrak special operation unit it's all collateral duty there's no full time Amtrak special operators and they will learn how to use covert movement Barricaded suspect situations, chemical munitions, and less, le- yeah, less lethal options. Um, they will complete specialized courses on topics including precision marksmanship, crisis intervention, and administration of Naxalone. They spend 16 hours a month training on train breaching and firearms. That's, and there's 25 members. That's an usually one because all the deployments are listed as some type of surge for the most part. Like, so it means like they get called up for holidays or for special events or whatever. Yeah. So that's a neat. Again, they're unlikely to get called out on a nine one one call. <laughs> yeah. Well, the the thing is though, um, there's Amtrak special operations unit, but there's also just they're they're a member of the Amtrak police, which is just the regular old police force that does the trains. And my understanding is that Amtrak police spends a lot of its time doing drug related stuff. Really. Yeah. I remember when I used to work at rail freight and ports. Uh, I heard some vaguely interesting stories about people trying to, because the thing is, is that, you know how at airport security, they like, you know, check how many ounces your prostate is and scan every molecule of your body and do all of the other kinds make of sure security. Make sure your 
bolt, your crotch is not big or unusual size. Yeah, well, they're gonna have trouble with mine because, uh, I like like uh, like yeah, Master Shake. Oh, I'll whip it out in private because there ain't enough room in here for it. Uh, the the thing about getting on an Amtrak vehicle is that you basically just go on it, and they don't look inside your bag. They don't like they barely check your identity. So some people use that to transport. Uh, various illicit substances and so that's why my understanding anyways and i'm not i'm not you know an expert on the issue this is my understanding of why amtrak police is often used for like drug interdiction purposes makes sense i appreciate this line under the nuclear national nuclear security administration's special response force the srf has never had to deploy to recapture or recover nuclear materials that have been compromised i mean we've lost nukes before these guys have never gone in and found them. Well, listen, listen. They didn't go diving under the ice sheet in Greenland after we dropped all those bombs from that bomber that caught fire because that was outside the jurisdiction. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's, it's good. That's what I got. Does anyone else have one that they'd like to do? Yeah, I encourage folks to check it out. Let, let, let us know what your favorite is. 